tonight, uh, we're going to be in Psalms 33. Uh, actually, th Psalms 32. I thought I'd give them a little jolt back there since in the control booth since they didn't ask me where we'd be tonight. So, <laughs> But we'll be in Psalms 32. Um, in Psalms 32, uh, it's considered one of the uh, penitent psalms. And I think for a very good reason because that's basically what it is. But it's, it's not necessarily the repentance part uh, as it is the, the uh, I guess, the joy of what comes after that, the forgiveness, the, the blessings, the, the salvation part of it, and, and what God actually does when we do go to Him. Um, and and David, uh, David's writer here, expresses that very, uh, uh, very well. Um, it, it is a title of a psalm of David. There is a couple places in Psalms 32, where some, I don't know if you call them Bible scholars, I don't think that David actually wrote this psalm. And as we get to that particular verse, we'll, we'll discuss that. Um, but I, I believe he is the, the author of this, and we'll discuss that too as we, we go through it. But let's read Psalms 32, and uh, then we'll discuss it. It says, Blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sins is covered, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning uh, all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you, my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So let's go back and look at verses 1 and 2 to start with. It says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Uh, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Now there's a couple things as we start here. One, he says, blessed is those who does something. And, and what he's saying here is, blessed is the Lord, uh, or blessed are those that the Lord forgives. And he, he, he talks about various different ways in which uh, this is done. And, and there's a lot of ways, of course, to look at blessed. We could go to the Sermon on the Mound, uh, the Beatitudes, and see how we're found to be blessed. Some interpret it as being happy. Um, I tend to think it goes a little deeper than that. It's not just about being happy. It's not just about a feeling. It's, it, I think it describes more of this state in which you're in. It's not just that emotion, though we should be happy. When you look at, uh, you remember the... Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, when uh, he come up out of the water, he went away doing what? 
he went away rejoicing. What about uh, uh, that was? What about in Acts? What is it? Sixteen. The uh, Philippian jailer. Remember when he and his household obeyed? What did he do? He 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 was full of joy, wasn't he? He rejoiced. So there is a a happiness. There is a rejoicing. There is a joy when you find yourself clean of your sins. I mean, do we really? know or remember or continue to remember what that feels like and what that is, what that entails, where we were and where we are now. So he begins by saying that, that, that we're in a blessed uh, 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 way of life, or we should be. And I think that goes back with remembering. Remember we talked about the last psalm about how we need to make sure that we, we think about, um, as David did, that we're able to cry out to God and we remember what state we were in, that bondage that he brought us out of and, and where we're at now, we need to continue to remember that. I think sometimes as Christians we forget about that. We forget about uh, uh, the wondrous mercy of God and the grace of God that gave us that opportunity to, to come out of that. But he starts out blessed. But notice how he describes when he describes uh, the state in which we were in. He, he, he describes it in four different ways. He says, blessed is whose transgression is forgiven. What is transgression? Sin. Well, it's sin, but he describes it in a different way. He describes it uh, uh, once as sin, but I like how he does it in different ways. If you go back to actually the original Greek, which I'm not a Greek scholar, but transgression is actually a more like one breaking the law it's a revolt. When you go against God, you're actually getting away from God's authority. It's almost like a rebellion. So he said, one, blessed is, is whose transgression is forgiven. So in other words, whose rebellion or revolt or, or, or breaking that law is forgiven. Then he says, whose sin is covered. The actual uh, uh, root word of sin is actually missing the mark. It's used like if, if an archer... Uh, uh, let's go of the bow and how it, how it goes and it misses that mark. So he describes it here, one, as a rebellion or a revolt or breaking the law. Then he describes it as one who uh, misses the mark. He says, whose sin is covered. Blesses the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. So the third way he describes it here is iniquity. And he says he's not, uh, this iniquity is a, a, a um, I, I guess you would describe it in a, way that goes against something that's pure, something that's uh, a, a, a way of life that is set out for us and we choose a, a more, um, not, not gross isn't the right word, but uh, a more, I guess, disturbing path. And he says the Lord doesn't count that against us. Are you going to say something, right? I was going to say, I think you use the word filth. Filth? filth? Yeah, that, that's a good word. Yeah, it says you, you find yourself in an unclean state. I guess that's what it's actually talking about, this field. So he says you, you, you've revolted, you've rebelled, you've missed the mark, you, you, you find yourself in this, uh, 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 this particular state. And he says, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, deceit, it, you may think, well, that's not how he's describing sin. He's actually describing a person who's not admitting their sin. That they're, they're deceiving themselves and think that they're trying to deceive God or other people. They're not coming clean or they're not acknowledging the sin in which they're doing. So he, he starts out by saying, 
Here's where a man finds their self in this condition. And that condition is a revolt or a rebellion against God that misses the mark, that finds himself in a, and thanks for that, Brian, a, a, a filth, uh, a, a filthy path, a filthy way, and we deceive ourselves and try to deceive God about, uh, about it. We won't acknowledge that we're even in that situation. But then he doesn't stop there. He goes on here uh, with verse 2. Uh, well, actually, back to verse 1, and he describes forgiveness in several different ways. He says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. And that forgiven is like lifted up. It, it, it's lifted off. That, that, that burden is lifted off of us, he says. And blessed is the person who does that. Whose sin is covered. Now think about it. This goes back to the anointing with the holy of holiest when they would go in and sprinkle blood, remember, on the mercy seat. Uh, it was actually that covering that was on it. It's, it's, they do that to, as they talked about then, it just kind of covered your sins we, we talk about them rolling forward, but it didn't necessarily roll forward as more, as more than it did covering them while it was predicated on the fact of Jesus coming. But it's, it's, what he's saying here is it's, it's been covered. You, you can't see that sin anymore. That sin doesn't exist anymore. There's a covering over that. And blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. So you've got forgiven, you've got covered, and does not impute. And he's saying here, and, and impute means that you take a ledger of it. It's like a, a bookkeeping or accounting term. God doesn't keep a ledger of that. Now see, here's where man is different. Many times we, even ourselves, we, we keep a ledger of, of our sins, don't we? Or we even keep a ledger of someone else's sin. And it's hard for us to, to erase that ledger. You know, we say we need to forgive like God forgives because God forgives and forget. Can we forget? God, it's not that God forgets that he can't remember it. It's just that he covers it. He don't keep a ledger of it. He doesn't bring it back up. Man doesn't have that ability. Now, we can move on from that, but we don't have the ability to just wipe that out. But we have to treat it as though it is. That, that's what forgiveness is. But he says here, that's why a person should be happy, rejoiceful, blessed, because this is what God has done. And he does this for the person... And in whose spirit there's no deceit. So in other words, that person that admits that they were in that situation, acknowledges that they were in that situation, and does something about it, this is what the Lord does for you. Now, you can take Psalms 32 and some different parts of it as we go through this, and some use this to teach a, uh, a doctrine of faith only, of just confession only, just confess your sins, that's all you have to do. That's not what this is teaching at all. David is in a... Is David, at this time, is he in a covenant relationship with God? Is he righteous in God's eyes? Is he one of his? Yeah, he is. Now, that doesn't mean David doesn't sin, but doesn't mean, it doesn't mean he doesn't live in sin. There, there's, there's many times in David's life, and he, he discusses this several times throughout Psalms, that he sins. But David always, as we've talked about before, it comes back to acknowledging that and coming back to him. So how someone can go to this and get just, okay, you've got to just confess or you've got to just this. It's about what a person does to, to get there. Remember, it's that person who has no deceit, who doesn't deny that they're in that situation and know what they need to do 
to get out of that situation. But I love how David starts this song because he starts it out, okay, here's where we've got to realize we are. Here's what, where he's saying that he realizes he is. He is in a blessed state because this is what God has done. And David had found himself many, many times. I mean, we, we've just got recorded you know, several times, but David finds himself in situations where he knows what it's like to miss the mark. He knows what it's like to rebel against God and go against God. That's what he said in Psalms 51, against you and you only have I sinned, he said, remember? So he knows what it's like to rebel against God. He knows what it's like to deceive about it. So he knows what those things are like, but he also knows what it's like to have that forgiveness. And what a wonderful thing that is. I think sometimes, and I maybe just be speaking for myself, I don't realize how wonderful that is. How, how, how amazing and merciful and gracious God is to even provide that. And David starts out with this uh, in the very beginning. Uh, any thoughts or comments on those two verses? Nope. Uh, notice here in, uh, uh, well, let's notice in Romans uh, 4, verses 1 through 9 for just a moment. Paul actually addresses uh, Psalms 32 about this very thing. He says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does, does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works the wages are not counted as the grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessed, uh, blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Now why did Paul quote out of Psalms here? What was he discussing? Well, what Paul was discussing and how I think the principle can apply to us, Paul was discussing the works of the law. And he says, okay, if you want to go back and say it was the works of the law that made you justified, it was the works of the law that, that caused these things to happen, then you're wrong. It's not about works. It's not about going through those things. And we can apply it today to, to uh, the works that we do. I can't do enough things to earn God's forgiveness. You know, I can't say, okay, if I do this much good, it will outdo this much bad. Paul said it doesn't work that way. It, it, it's not like that. It's not just to uh, the circumcised only, as he says, but to the uncircumcised also. And when he talked about how God it, it, uh, justified Abraham in this way, it wasn't because of what Abraham did. You say, well, Abraham followed God. He sacrificed Isaac just like, you know, was planning on sacrificing Isaac just... Uh, the way that God said, he done all these things that God said, so that's what was accounted to him righteousness. Paul said that's not what it was. It's not about what he did, it's about what he believed, and when he believed it, then he did what was said because he believed it to begin with. Now, some will take this too, what Paul says in this part out of Psalms, and say, well, here's your faith only, here's your just believe. Paul was saying it's not any kind of works of faith, 
that it's, uh, that it's just all about mercy and grace and about the gift of God and, and righteousness comes from that. It's not of works. He's not talking about anything here about the works of faith. What he's saying is that we, what it's based upon and what it's always based upon. I'm not going to do what God says unless I believe him to start with. And it's that belief to start with is what causes me to, to do those things. It's not those things that do it. It's that belief that causes me to do it. Does that make any sense? You know, you may be saying, well, you get in the cart before the horse or the her, uh, horse before the cart. Yeah, it's like which come first, the chicken or the egg? But, but what he's saying is we can't trust in what we do and say, if I do these things, just like today. It's not about, some people think if you, we walk through those doors, we come in here, we sing, we pray, we, we, we take the Lord's Supper on Sunday, that we give, we listen to preaching, that, that's, what sa- that that's not what saves us. It, it's not about going through those motions. We do those things, one, because God tells us to worship, but we believe Him when He tells us these are the things in which to do. If I didn't believe Him, I wouldn't do it to start with. So it's not just about the ritual acts. It's about that belief to begin with of the reason that I'm doing it. And David, as he's discussing this, as he's going through this, he said, it's not anything that I've done or that we can do that God gave this opportunity of, of forgiving us of our transgressions, of covering our sins. It's not that we sat back and didn't do anything. We believed Him. And when we believed Him, we did what He said. And because of that, then what does God do? See, it doesn't take off the conditions, but it does take off the condition that I can earn my salvation, that I can earn my way to heaven, that I can do enough good, I can be just a good person, and that's what does it. But that's not what David said, and that's not what Paul says when he even quotes David. He's telling them in the the immediate context, you can't go back to the works of the law and think that's what's going to bring justification. That's going to bring righteousness if I work these works. He said, that's not what does it. What did it was Christ came and died for you and had the opportunity for you to to be a part of the shedding of His blood. That's what brings that justification. That's what brings righteousness. Now, when I believe that Christ did that, how do I come in contact with that blood? By doing the things in which He said to do. You see, what David is saying here. And I guess the, the, the long and the short of it is, I can't do enough good to bring this about. This is how wonderful God is that He gave us the opportunity to begin with. He, didn't keep, he don't keep a ledger. He, 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 if we acknowledge what we're doing, then this is what God's going to do. And what a gracious and wonderful... I mean, think about it. God doesn't have to do that, did He? I mean, He does now because His character is He doesn't lie and this is what He says He's going to do. But, but did God have to do this for us? He did it because He loved us. And because He loved us, He showed that action toward us. And how we show love toward Him is, uh, like Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But the only way I'm going to keep His commandments is by doing what? Believing those commandments to begin with. It all starts with belief. It goes back to when He says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. There's not been one time, not one time that I've ever talked to a person, especially in the denominational world, and, and you get to that verse, there's not one person that's, that's, it always comes to where this is what they say. Well, it doesn't say he that's baptized not shall be condemned. 
Every single one that I've ever talked to always says that. And to me, that doesn't make any sense. Because it doesn't have to say it, does it? He that believeth not, because it says he that believeth not shall be condemned at the end. It says, he, it doesn't say he that's baptized not shall be condemned. But it doesn't have to. Why would it have to? Because if I don't believe to start with, am I going to be baptized? I'm not going to do it. So there's where my condemnation is. If I don't believe it, I'm not going to do what he says. So he wouldn't have to say the other one. Yeah, I, I mean, it comes down to I either believe it or I don't. And if I believe it, then I'm going to do the things that he do. It's not my own good works that's going to get me there. It's what God did and my belief on that, that God did that and is going to do what he says he's going to do. So I do the things in which he says because I believe it. If I didn't believe it, we would never do it. So it wouldn't be counted to me righteousness. I couldn't be justified because I wouldn't do it to begin with. But I thought it was interesting that Paul... Uh, you know, quote Psalm 32 here in, in this, I guess, argument or proving his point here in Romans about these just wanting to go back to the old works of the law. That is, it's, it's not what the works that does it. So that's why we can, I mean, that's why it's such a wonderful thing. That's why this forgiveness, that's why him not imputing iniquity, that's why him covering our sin, that's why it's such a wonderful thing because he didn't have to do that to begin with. That's where the gift is. That's where the grace is. That's where the mercy is, is the very opportunity for us to come in contact with that salvation. That, that's where it's wonderful. He didn't have to. What we deserved was death, didn't we? You can go back to John chapter 3. He says, I didn't come to condemn. I come to save because you're condemned already. You're already in darkness. The world was in darkness. That's why I came, to bring the light. I came to save. I didn't have to come to condemn because you're condemned already. So for salvation, here's what you have to do is accept the gift that I'm bringing. And that gift is salvation. How I accept it is I believe that he's got the gift. I believe he did that. And I do what he says to receive it. It all, it all does come back to belief. And I think sometimes we do ourselves a disservice. We're trying to combat the world sometimes about faith only and just belief that we're scared to say it does begin with belief. That that's, it, it, it begins there or it doesn't go anywhere. Because if I don't believe it, there's nothing I can do, uh, nothing I can do anyway. I've, I've got to have faith in what he says. And as Hebrews 11.6 says, that's what pleases him. That's the only thing that pleases him. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because I'm not going to do what he says if I don't have faith in him. Let's note in verse thir uh, 3 and 5 of, of 32. He says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, this psalm doesn't say exactly what time that David was talking about, what sin he was talking about. Um, but where some Bible scholars, I guess that's what you'd call them, where some believe that this wasn't David that wrote this, is where he says, uh, 
In verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have hidden. And I, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. They said David couldn't write this because David tried to hide it. Uh, if you're talking about the sin with Bathsheba, he tried to keep quiet what he did uh, uh, with Bathsheba to begin with. Then when she became with child, he, he, he still kept quiet with it. He covered it up by bringing Uriah back. When that didn't work, he had uh, uh, Uriah murdered. He tried to keep all, all this along the way. He was trying to keep hidden until Nathan came to him, and then he confessed it. So they say David couldn't possibly write this because David didn't acknowledge his sin uh, right away that he, uh, he tried to hide it. Well, well, look at this. Isn't this what he says to begin with? He says, when I kept silence, my bones grew, grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Isn't he describing that here? He said, this is what happened when I kept silent about it. When I kept silent about it, I was miserable. My life, that's why the Bible says the, the way of the transgressor is hard. David did keep silent for a little while about it. And he says, this is what happened, so I did acknowledge my sin. But if we go to Psalms 51, Psalms 51 and verse 3, remember what he said uh, to God in this pit, uh, repentance? He said, for I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. So he even says here in Psalms 51 that he acknowledged it. He says, here, here's what I did, and I acknowledged it, and my sin is always before me. David realized what a mess he had made. He realized how horrible it was. He realized this, this grievous sin that he had made. And he even says here in Psalms 32 that it weighed heavy upon him day and night. It made him basically physically ill because he kept silent about it. But if you go back to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, remember what he said with, uh, with Nathan? So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And because he acknowledged that, notice... And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sins. You shall not die. So here again we see where David acknowledged it. But not only he acknowledged it, but we see what the Lord did because of it. So I find it hard to, to agree with someone who says it wasn't David who wrote this for this reason here. Because I think the proof's evident. David did acknowledge his, his sins. I think that's what made David close to... Uh, 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 someone of, 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 of God's own heart because that, that to me was the essence of David. David with all the greatness that he did, all the battles that he, uh, uh, that he was victor in, all the accomplishments, all these great things, even when people sung his name, that he was so great, but he had all these other low times to where he did transgress God's law. He did miss the mark. He did find himself in just a world of filth because he tried to cover it up. And it wasn't just one time. We, we see where he, he sinned with Bathsheba. We see where uh, I believe that uh, uh, you would say he sinned because he went against God that got uh, Uzzah dead too. You know, we talked about him having Uriah murdered. It's David's fault that Uzzah died, wouldn't it? David, David wouldn't carry in the ark the way he was supposed to. And because of that, Uzzah died. Then you see where he did the census and he counted uh, all the people. And then what happened? A plague come on uh, all the people and what? 70,000 men died. So we see there, there, there are several times in which David sinned. David missed the mark. But what you also see is where David acknowledged that too. 
So what, what I get out of Psalms, especially with David, especially in Psalms like this, Psalms 32, uh, uh, Psalms 51, and the other ones that were penitent Psalms, is, is David showing his human side to where I'm not perfect. It's not my righteousness that's going to get me through. It's God's righteousness. And it's God who will cover my sins. It's God who will forgive my sins. It's God who will not impute iniquity against me. He's not going to keep a ledger because I'm acknowledging it to him. Now, this ain't saying all you got to do is confess or all you got to do is just have faith only. David is in this right relationship with God, but in doing that, there's times in which he sinned, and here's how David comes back. It's really no different than how a child of God comes back today, is it? I mean, that's what we do. If I'm in a, a right relationship with God, there's going to still be times in which I sin. And when I do sin, I've got to acknowledge it, and I've got to come to Him. And then here's what he will do. So David here just, just throws out a whole laundry uh, of stuff to where he's saying, realize all these bad things. And as David said before, his sin is always before him. He knows he sinned. He knows the damage that he done. He was living the consequences of that. But he said, even in all of that, when I acknowledge to God and I confess what I did to God, I, I, I come clean about it. One, it, it made him feel better, made his conscience feel better, didn't weigh so hard on him. But two, he said, here's what God did. He forgave me. He covered my sins. He didn't impute iniquity because there wasn't deceit in me. I didn't deceive myself or try to deceive God anymore. I come clean. I acknowledged it. And he said, what a wonderful thing uh, that is uh, to do that. Uh, let's look at verses 6 and 7. He says, For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with song of deliverance. So David is talking here. Now he says, okay, here's what God will do. Here's the things that individuals did, and here's what God does when they acknowledge that and they come clean to that. And he says here in this, what he's basically saying, you better do that while there's opportunity. You better do that while there's time. You know, uh, he says here, um, he says, For this cause everyone who's godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a great flood of great waters they shall not come near him. Does this remind you of anything? What about those in the time of the flood that wouldn't come to him? When that flood came, you think they could come near to him then? Too late then, wouldn't it? They had opportunity, but now there's not. And I think that's what David's saying when these high waters come, when it comes a point to where there's going to be a point where it's too late, isn't there? We don't know when that time is. That's what I told somebody one time. Uh, I was talking with them. The first time I ever had someone actually tell me, I'm going to, and I thought they were going to give me a time. I, I, I'm going to obey, and I'm, I'm sure I told this before, but I told them, I said, you write on here on this piece of paper when you're going to obey, you write on this piece of paper when you're going to die. There's one you can't know, but there's another one that you can. So how do you know, is this one going to happen before that one? There's going to come a time, you know, we sing a song, tomorrow may be too late. And it's not necessarily that tomorrow may not come. It may be the fact the desire tomorrow may not be there to obey. 
I, I tell you, as a minister, and you may have seen it too, I, I've, I've stood at, uh, in front of a, a congregation before. You sing the invitation song. You see somebody back there just grabbing the pew, their knuckles just wide as they can be, sweat pouring off of them, even crying. You think, well, they're going to, and then they don't do something. Then you see them walking out, then they're shaking hands, happy, everything fine. They don't give it another thought. Tomorrow they go to work. Next day they go to work, don't think about it. Well, what happened? They had the desire then, but the next day, then they didn't have the desire anymore. So it, it may not just be that tomorrow may not come. It may be that your desire to do something, that, that may have been the time that your desire was there. It may not be back. You know, what's that? Yeah, it, it does start to harden. What was it uh, Marshall Keeble used to say? I hope you go home and, and toss like you're in a, a dryer. You just toss and turn all night long. He said, and what the Lord does is put you in the washer and the Lord blood's like that dash, he said. You pour that dash in there and it gets you clean. But he said, if, if you don't do anything, you're just tossing around without any dash in a washer. He said, I hope you're miserable. I hope you toss and turn all night. There's a, one tape that I heard that he did. And I thought, that's probably a pretty good way to put that. You know, we, we, we don't like to feel bad. We don't like to... You know, but there's things, you know, you talk about when the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Well, it does make you free, but the truth does a whole lot of other things first. It may make you miserable. It may make you toss and turn. It may, it may be just eat at you and just gnaw at you. It only sets you free if you allow it to. But if you don't, it can cause you a lot of problems. If you go and read the parable of the sower, you know where it says, uh, East Place, the, the, the sea fell. And there's times in there it says, because of the word, this happened. Because of the word, this happened. There, there's things that, okay, I, I've got the word in here, but if I, if I see it and I know it's there, but I don't do anything about it, then that's what brings the weeds and stuff in that chokes me. That's what brings this in. It wouldn't even affect, weeds wouldn't be a problem. I mean, think about it. Are weeds a problem if we're not trying to grow something else? I mean, if you're not growing grass or you're not growing vegetables, I don't care if there's weeds in a certain place. If I'm not growing anything there or I care what it looks like with the grass, I'm not going to cut it. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go out there and weed something out if I don't need to. So there's no problem with it unless there's something in there that I want to grow. So because of the word, it can cause issues if, if I don't uh, accept what it does. And that's what he's, he's saying here. We've got to do this while there's opportunity. We've got to do this while there's time to, um, to receive these blessings that he talked about in verse 1 and 2. Because there's going to be a time when, when it's not there. Um, notice uh, verses 8 through 11 now. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way, uh, the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule... Which no under, with no one, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in the heart. Now here is uh, another, uh, I guess, passages, a uh, few passages where individuals say. Okay, here's another proof that it wasn't necessarily David that wrote it because you've got God speaking here, verses 8 through 11. I tend to disagree. I don't believe this is God speaking here. I believe it's still David. 
And you say, well, how can David say, I will instruct you, I'll teach you, I will guide you. This, this is God talking. This is God saying, don't let me have to force you like a horse or a mule and put a bridle in there. Don't be like this. I'll teach you, I'll guide you, I'll watch you with my eye, I'll do these. It, well, it sounds like God, it must be God. Well, yeah, it, it, it could be, and yeah, that's what God does. But it also could be David, couldn't it? Remember in Psalms 51 and verse 13? I have to look over here, I didn't write it down. It says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. And part of David's repentance in Psalm 51 when he's crying out to God and he said, a broken, contrite heart, I acknowledge my sin. My sin's always before you. You know what he's telling God he'll do? Because I've gone through this because I see your mercy. I see your loving kindness. I see what happens when you acknowledge your sin. I see what happens when you confess your sin. He said, I'll teach others. I'll tell others about that. I'll tell others what you can do. Don't this sound like what he's doing here? To me it does. To me, it's David saying, I will instruct you and teach you in your ways you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And don't be where you've got to be forced to do it. It, it, it should be this voluntary. There shouldn't be like a bit in your mouth where you've got to be dragged. He said you ought to do it because of what it brings. It brings this shout of joy. It brings this wonderful uh, reason to be glad and to rejoice. He said, because this is what God can do for you. So, me personally, you can go back and study it. I believe it is David that's, that's writing this. I believe it's because David did uh, uh, come to this and David did uh, acknowledge his sin and David did do uh, what God said to do and I, I believe he did what he said he was going to do. He was going to teach others uh, their ways. Um, when you get to, and I think there's blessings in that. We, we look at different times that, that we fall short, that we miss the mark, that we transgress. But as we get through that, could we use those as opportunities to teach someone else? To teach someone else, say, I, I've been where you've been. I, I, I've done that very thing, or I've, I, I've done these things. I, I'm not saying it's an excuse to sin, so maybe you'll have the opportunity to teach someone about it. But I believe it can bring about opportunities it can bring about opportunities one to realize i think individuals need to realize as christians no matter what we do no matter how hard we work we're never going to be perfect are we we're only perfect through god's eyes we're never going to be holy but we're made holy through god because god tells us what's holy god tells us what's righteous and god tells us what to do to to uh, uh be that and we're only that as david said many times because of your righteousness. So it's because of God's righteousness. And David, I believe that's why he's saying, I'll teach other people. I'll, I'll do what uh, needs to be done to show people your love, your graciousness, your mercy. But David, in many of the Psalms too, showed them what God's wrath would be, wouldn't, didn't he? Because he prayed many times, okay, here's what the wicked's doing, God, and here's what needs to be done. So David can see both sides of it. But I think in this psalm, I think it's a wonderful picture of, okay, when you find yourself in sin, here's how to get yourself out through God, and here's what God will do when you acknowledge that. And when he does that, you can rejoice because there's protection and there's gladness and there's rejoicing and there's, there's blessings in that. As the Bible tells us, all spiritual blessings are in Christ. That, that's where we... We find those things, but I have to be in Christ 
to do that, I have to be in that relationship. And that's what David was. David was in that relationship with God, but in that relationship, there's times that he says, I feel like your face is away from me, remember? He said, I feel like I'm in a pit, or when I was in a pit, you brought me out. So he acknowledged all these times that when he was in his low point, how he got out of those and, and uh, what became of that. So this is another wonderful psalm. I'd encourage you to go back and even study it uh, uh, deeper because I think there's a lot of things that David talk, talks about that can, can help us today. Any final thoughts or comments? Yeah, you, you start thinking, you know, it, it's easy as a Christian to still have guilt. It's easy as a Christian to think you've got to be perfect, to put so much pressure on ourselves that sometimes we can't live up to that. I'm not saying that, it's, as Paul said, it's just uh, free reign to sin because of the grace of God. Uh, it's not that, but I think we, we see in David, most of all, here's a guy that really tried his best to serve God. And even at trying his best, he still, he still made decisions, carnal decisions. He still made decisions of the flesh. He still rebelled against God. But he did come back. And he did acknowledge that. And I think that's a great, great attribute uh, to have that kind of ability and love for God that you can be that humble to do that.